you, Chris. It's lovely to be with you. Abbey has a um, soft spot in my heart. My wife taught in King Henry VIII. And uh, so, was anybody in King Henry VIII from 1983, any time between 1983 and 2010? Yes. My wife did history. Oh, no, not her. No, please. Jane Francis. And uh, she loved history. And she would be still teaching there if God hadn't called her to come and serve in the church. And uh, uh, great, great band, I have to say. Great worship. Fantastically read by that young girl. I, I suffer from dyslexia. So for that age, to stand up and read that long reading. I don't know who gave her the reading, but that was blinking long for a child. <laughs> she did so well. And uh, Chris, I've known Chris for a couple of years now. And uh, uh, you know this. He's a great leader. Uh, you've you got a gift here in Abergavenny and a uh, blessing to Wales. And how many of you know that he's a gifted painter as well? Yes, he's a gifted painter. So, um, I just want to talk to you a little bit uh, about a couple of things that have been on my heart. I was talking to a friend a couple of years ago who's uh, the same age as me. And he compared himself to a megachurch leader in America. And his comment was this. Paul, I compare myself to him, and what have I achieved in life? So I said, depends how you measure success. Depends how you measure success. I um, want to just read to you from Hebrews, just two, two verses, or uh, no, just one verse, actually. Hebrews eleven thirteen, The great passage about faith. All these people, it says about these, uh, were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised and only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. To get to the end of your life and not see what in your heart of hearts you wanted to see. Is that success or is it not success? I went to a conference recently. It was a great conference. It was an expensive conference. Somebody gave me some complimentary tickets. I'm always up for that. And uh, it was fantastic. And if somebody gives them next year, I'll go back again. It was up in London. And, um, but this was the first day. This is how it went. First person was interviewed was a billionaire. Okay, he was a billionaire. And he talked about how he became a billionaire, where God plays part in that. Second speaker, who was fantastic, was the pastor of the largest church in America. Fantastic stuff he shared. The third person was interviewed was a lady who is in HR and a very successful lady. But in, in, in telling her story, she told the story that her and her husband weren't able to have children. Now, my ears prick up because Jane and I weren't able to have children. And um, people prayed for us and uh, we discussed other options, but we never were able to have children. Uh, so I thought, oh, that's interesting. And then she said, but somebody prayed for us and we conceived. And we've got a lovely daughter. My heart says, thank you, God. Thank you. But there is a subtext, unintentionally. This is a subtext. To be successful in the Christian world, you've got to be a billionaire or wealthy. You've got to lead the largest church in America. And you've got to have prayers answered that other people don't get prayers answered for. Now, they don't mean that at the conference, but that's the subtext. How do you measure success? I'm a big fan of a church in America called uh, Mosaic Church, Great Creative Arts Church. And um, Aaron McManus is their uh, pastor, 
And at the moment, they're going to appeal to raise $20 million to buy a building in Los Angeles. So here's the question. If they get the 20000 will they have been successful? Well, they may have been or may not have been. It just depends how you measure success. When I visit churches, so coming here, I haven't asked Chris this deliberately. How many, one of the things church leaders ask is, how many, how many people in your church? Because we're not really interested in how many people are in your church. We're just interested we've got less people than we've got in our church. So if somebody says to me, we've got 242, I think, hallelujah, Jesus, we've got 243. <laughs> but if somebody says 750, I begin to think, where have I gone wrong? Why am I not successful? How many social media friends do you have? How many friends Facebook you from exotic locations and bungee jumping off some incredible cliff? I hate that. I tell my friends, I do not want you to send them to me. If you're in the Bahamas with a nice little drink on the beach and I'm in Wales and it's raining, I really, truly, I don't want to see it. Really, I don't want to see it. So how do you measure success? What does it taste like? What does it sound like? I did a bit of coaching, or had a bit of coaching a couple of years ago, um, and um, a good friend of mine did it for me. He had a couple of questions. One of the questions was, what would success look like in your life, Paul? First question, good question. Second question, how would you know you've achieved it? That's a clever question. That's a very clever question. So, what does success look like in Gateway Church? How do you measure it? What does it look like in my life, in my friendship, in our marriages, in our work situation? What does it mean to be a successful parent? What does it mean to be a successful single person? Big questions, aren't they? So, let me just have a couple of things that uh, I think the Bible talks about. So, oh, it's not moving. Can you just knock it on to the next one? That'd be great. Thank you. There it is. Uh, so this is a list of the um, disciples. Clearly, there are 12, and obviously Judas was part of them once, and uh, clearly he committed suicide, so he was replaced by a man called Matthias. Now, there's 12 there. Let's put down there for a second. There's 12 there, and um, here's my question. In the book of Acts, it tells you the story of the church. How many of these disciples are mentioned in the book of Acts? Ooh, flop up. Good question, isn't it? Good question. So, see if it works. Okay, next slide. There we are. Peter, James, John, Philip, and Matthew are mentioned. Matthew wrote a book. Um, uh, James wrote a book. Peter is mentioned throughout the New Testament. John is not mentioned, but he did write 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and the book of John, and Revelation, so gets quite a few mentions. Um, Philip is mentioned. And Matthew wrote a book. The rest of them, there's no record of them. So here's the question. Were they flops? They didn't get to get in the book of Acts. Were they successful? I don't know. But here's my first observation about uh, what it says about success. Next slide, please. If we can. Success is sometimes not visible. Success is sometimes not visible. Uh, Harry Truman, next slide, please. Harry Truman, who was the president of the United States, said this. Anything is possible 
as long as you don't mind not getting the glory. That's a great, great quote. For church leaders, that's hard. But anything is possible. Uh, Chris will know these people. There's a dear couple I've known for a long time now, uh, church leaders up near Abitillary. God called them from England to Wales, and they've served up there, I think, for about 15 years now. It's in a small community where you can buy a house for 15,000 pounds. It's a very, very deprived area. And they have served there. You've not heard of them. Are they successful or not? I met with another church leader a couple of, about a month ago now. And he's working up in the valleys. And he's working in a place which is a dead-end place. You drive into it. I've been there. You drive in. And you come to the end. And there's a big circular road. You turn around. You come back out again. You can't go any further. It's a dead end. And he's leading a church of 16 people there. And it's killing him. Is he successful or is he not? The fascinating thing about Jesus is this. Sometimes he healed people and he told them not to tell anyone. I've always found that a bit puzzling. And in Matthew 9, uh, he heals a blind man and he says this to it. Uh, Jesus warned them sternly. See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news anyway. What is Jesus going on about? Well, I think there is something in the spiritual dynamic, a discipline called hiddenness. Hiddenness. It comes from the Celtic tradition where some people choose to do what they do and don't let anybody know about it. It's called hiddenness. Some people, God comes and he puts like a cloak over them. uh, And they become invisible to other people, but they are serving God faithfully, day in, day out. But no one knows about it. You're a single parent on benefits. Nobody knows about your struggles. That, that's, that's hiddenness. You're a parent with a child who's breaking your heart. That, that's hiddenness. You're a single parent who's aching, aching, to be married. That's hiddenness amongst other things. And one of the greatest pleasures, next slide please, is to know that a good action by stealth and have it found out by accident. In other words, I do something and I don't want anybody to know it. And I've done it and I'm walking away and all of a sudden discovers that I've done that and they come up to me and say, Paul, that was a great thing you did. Oh, thank you. I didn't want anybody to know about that, but it feels good when somebody recognizes you and stands with you. So success, uh, uh, next one, please, is to serve without anyone knowing pleases God. Are you serving and no one knows? God's pleased with you this morning. He's very happy with you. It's a good thing to do. Okay, next slide. This is not political before I put it up. There it is. It's not a political statement. Don't panic. Uh, these are five characters. The top one, somebody know who that is? Brenny Brown, correct. Uh, an American, like a good... You American, not Canadian? American, good, okay. Um, <laughs> dangerous, dangerous. That's Brenny Brown, who's a Christian sociologist. That's Oprah Winfrey. That's Man- Nelson Mandela. That's Boris Johnson. And that is President Trump. These are the type of people who, when they walk into the room, they can light the room up. 
There is a charisma about them that they walk into the room. I've done quite a bit of stuff with Tony Campolo, and I've been to places with him. And when he walks in the room, it just lights up because Tony's in the room. The problem is, in the world and in the Christian world, we confuse personality with character. Tony Campolo was born with that personality. You know, he came out kicking and screaming and telling jokes. That's Tony Campolo. He's a big personality. The problem we've got in the world at the moment is that people are judging people by personality, not by character. So when it comes to voting for people, check out their character first, not their personality. And Jesus taught, didn't he, that we cannot judge who's a Christian or not a Christian. But he did say, he did say, there are some markers. And here it is from uh, Luke's Gospel. No good tree, this is Jesus speaking, bears bad fruit. Nor does bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of his good store stored up in his heart. An evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full. Everything flows out of the heart. Is what the person is saying, is it uplifting? Is it gracious? Is it good language? That's part of being a character. Uh, I got a brother and a sister, and a few years ago, my parents celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary. And when I was five, between the age of five, ten, we lived in Italy, which was very pleasant, in Tuscany. And um, uh, my parents decided to go back uh, to celebrate, to Rome. And so uh, they planned it all, and my brother, myself, and my sister said, let's go and join them, but not tell them. Which can be dangerous, because you might turn up, and they're very disappointed to see you, but... Nevertheless, we planned. So I went with Jane, my wife, and my brother came. His wife couldn't make it. My sister with a partner. We arrived in it. So we went to the hotel. It's about 10 o'clock at night where my father checked in. And we got there, and the reception said, oh, I'm sorry, uh, Mr. Francis, to me. Uh, your parents checked out. They didn't like the hotel. Correct. That's exactly how I felt. They didn't have a mobile phone. So we've flown all the way to Rome. And, um, but they had a, what's called, I think it's congere. Is it congere? The guy in the hotel with a hat on in the front, opens doors for you. And uh, he got the taxi for my parents. And so we found out where they went. So we'd arrive at the hotel at 11 o'clock at night, and we'd go in. And I'd say, the reception, hey, listen, before my father, I'm saying, there's a package here for him. And so my dad comes down, and we stood there. And he goes, what are you doing? No, he didn't. He goes, oh, he's, a part, he's been in his, my, my children, my Bella children, I love you. And uh, he went to get my mother. She came down. She's crying. Oh, my dear children. So we had three great days with them, and we'd have meals at night. And at the end of the meal, my father's a bit like the godfather, you know, sits at the top of the table. Hey, this is my family. You look after them. There'll be a horse's head in your bed tomorrow. So, um, he, uh, so afterwards, we go back to the hotel where we stayed, different hotel. And my sister, my brother, like, like a drink or two or three. And so we sit down. And uh, so it's me and Jane and these, uh, my sister, my brother, and Joe, Sue's partner. And they've had a few drinks. And my sister says, looks and says, you never listen to what I ask, do you? My brother and to me. You never listen to what I ask. I said, sorry. So what do you mean? So, well, you talked about what you want to do tomorrow. I want to do this tomorrow, but you didn't listen to me. I said, Sue, you didn't tell us. But you don't listen to me. So my brother then says uh, to him, oh, don't be so stupid, Sue. So I say to my brother, 
don't talk to your sister like that. He turns to me and goes, don't you patronize me. You always patronize me my whole life. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, whoa, whoa, whoa. So my brother gets up, storms out. My sister goes out in tears. Joe and Sue, uh, uh, Joe and Jane left there. I'm there thinking, I've got, I've got to sort this out. So I go upstairs, sit with my sister about two hours. So in the morning, we go for breakfast. This is my brother. This is my brother. Uh, we go down to breakfast. I'm sitting with Jane, and my brother comes in. Bearing in mind what's happened, and I haven't seen him since. Morning. Good to see you, Jane and Paul. Great night last night, wasn't it? I thought, what planet are you on? Out of the heart comes through the mouth pain. It's been there. That was pain that came out then. And for some of you, there's pain in your heart. And the Bible says, guard your heart, for it's the wellspring of life. Guard your heart. We just took this lovely, it's great, I love communion, moving around, bread and the wine. This is where we bow before the throne and say, Father, my heart needs to be tender again. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. And the Bible tells us what is successful in people's lives. Be a politician or be somebody who's unemployed. Uh, famous words. Next slide, please. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. Where, where do you measure? Where do I measure on that scale? Patience. I must confess, a bit of a boast. I'm good at patience. I, I'd give myself an eight on patience. I really would, actually. Um, faithfulness, whoa, down to three probably. Need to improve on faithfulness. Yesterday, I pulled up in front of our church, and there's a young lad, well, young, he's 21 now, sorry, who, who helps. He's got uh, quite severe uh, Asperger's, and he's a lovely lad. And I pulled up, and I said, hi, uh, it's not his name, hi, Dave. Uh, uh, lo- sunny, lovely day. No, it's not. The sun sucks the life out of you. Sucks the life out of you. So here's the question. When you walk into a room, do you bring joy and peace and gentleness? Or do you suck the life out of the room? I meet people in my church that suck the life out of me. Really do. I don't want to be like that. You don't want to be like that. You want to be people that when you walk into the room, people's hearts lift because you are a peace carrier. You are a peace carrier. Do you not want to know what success is in God's eyes? God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. We sang that in one of the songs. God blesses those who mourn, who grieve. God blesses those who are humble. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice. God blesses the merciful. God blesses those who are pure in heart. God blesses those who work for peace, who are shalom builders. Are we those sort of people? Are we those sort of people? Success, next slide please, is leaning into your vulnerability. And that's from Brenny Brown. Sounds great, doesn't it? But what on earth does it mean? What is vulnerability? Well, vulnerability 
is taken from uh, the Latin and means to wound, to be capable of being wounded, of capable of being... Uh, uh, it's like a dog who would lie on its back and puts his egg, le- legs in the air. It's completely vulnerable. His stomach's there, and he's got no defense. It's making yourself vulnerable. It's taking a risk. Going out on the streets with this dear lady on whatever it was, Saturday, I think. It's making yourself vulnerable. It's risky. It's difficult. It's uncertainty. It's emotional exposure. That's what vulnerability is. And Brian Brown tells the story uh, where she was invited. She goes all around the world. And she was invited to Canary Wharf in London to speak to some high-level bankers. And they asked her to come speak about the whole issue of vulnerability in work. And um, uh, she walked into the room, and she knew as soon as she walked in that they didn't want her there. She just knew. I've been there. I've been there. I know when I walk into... I don't feel it here, by the way. But I've, I've walked into places, and I thought, they really don't want me here. And she felt that. And uh, they said to her, listen, banking's got no place for vulnerability. So she said, I'll tell you what, I'm meant to be here all day. I'll ask you one question. And if you don't want me to stay on after that question, I'll go. I want to do some shopping anyway, so it'll be great. I can go early. So this was her question. Bear in mind the bankers. What's the biggest issue you're facing here in your industry? Good question, isn't it? Of bankers, particularly. Someone shouts out, ethical decision-making. How to make good moral choices in the banking world. So these, she then asks back, has anyone ever stood up in front of a group of people or group of leaders and said to them, this is wrong, this is outside of our values, we shouldn't be doing this? How many have done that? And quite a few hands went up. And then she said, how does it feel? How does it feel? And somebody in the back shouted out, stay on. And so she answered them. There's probably not a single act. Next slide, please. You got it, thank you. There's probably not a single act at work that requires more vulnerability than holding people responsible for their ethics and values, especially when you're alone in it and there's a lot of money, power, and influence at stake. People will put you down, question your intentions, hate you, and sometimes try to discredit you in the process of protecting themselves. So if you don't do vulnerable and or you have a culture that thinks vulnerability is weakness, then it's no wonder that ethical decision-making is a problem. It's easy to stand up and speak up in a situation where everybody agrees with you. It's very difficult to stand up in a situation where people don't agree with you. I think of health professionals. We, we just had an evening looking at end-of-life issues. The decisions that health professionals have to make are huge. Huge. And we need to pray for them because they have to make them day in, day out, day in, day out. And sometimes they have to stand up and say, this is not right against the flow. And that's hard. To tell people in church that you're lonely. It's a hard thing to do. But if you take the risk and tell somebody, the journey begins. Some of you in this room be going through financial hardships. You don't have to be a great prophet to work that one out, this number of people, but nobody knows about it. 
vulnerability says, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell somebody. I'm going to tell them. And it's the beginning. Rob and I Parsons, some of you have heard of. Rob started Care for the Family 30 years ago, and he's in Glenwood. And one of the great things they did was this, and it's going back now, 30 years ago. They're still up, and they said, we've been having difficulties in our marriage. In fact, Di's been to a psychiatrist to have help. Wow. That's brave. Because Christians can be funny about such things. But now, people very willingly share that my marriage is a slightly difficult moment. Can you pray for me? Because it's okay to be vulnerable. Vulnerability builds bridges. At this conference that I was at in London, I sit down, there's a guy next to me, early 30s, don't know him, chat away to him a bit in the breaks. And at the end of the day, I said, oh, good, see you tomorrow. Yeah, and for some reason, I always say this to people. He told me a bit about his story and he was struggling. I said, you know what? Um, Luke wasn't his name, Luke. 22 years ago, I went through burnout, and uh, I went on to antidepressants, and uh, I was off for six, six months, and it probably took me two years to get back to where I am, being myself, but I walk with an emotional limp. I, I still have difficulties at times. That was it. That was the conversation. Go back, spend the night, come back, and we're a bit late getting back. I sat down next to him. He said, oh, I'm glad you came back. Can I have a bit of time with you today? I said, well, yes, yeah, let's meet at lunchtime. Then he poured out his story. The advice I gave, he may listen to, but the big thing was that he was able to pour out his story. Uh, last week, uh, I found out that a young church leader, young church leader, 30 again, is going through burnout. Nobody's seen him for three months to try to get in touch with him. I text him. I say, hey, I've just heard that you're going through burnout. I'm so sorry. Just for you to know, 22 years ago, give my little speed on the text. Ten minutes later, bing, I'd love to meet with you, Paul. It's vulnerability. It's vulnerability. And it's the starting place of getting on the road to recovery. But you have to start with that. Let me ask you a question. Well, let me just show you one last PowerPoint for the question. Next slide, please. This is a great uh, quote. So simple, powerful. It's a spiritual discipline to cease from adding the word but to the simple phrase, this is good. Church, we're good at this. Can I say this morning, the worship was wonderful, but it was a bit loud. Or, that was a great preach this morning, but you spoke a bit fast. Or, hey, kids are great, but... When they come out the frontier and wave their flags and jump up and down, it's a bit off-putting. Why is it that we always have to put a button to our statements? If you want to encourage something, stop the buts. Just say, great worship this morning. Great preach. Isn't it great to have kids in our church? Then outside not coming? It's a great little quote, that. So here's my final question. Was Jesus successful? So, if a coach had asked him, what would success look like for you be like Jesus, and how would you know you've achieved it? Because when Jesus died, he was, to be honest, a flop. He came from a northern town called Nazareth, which was a backwater, and it's where people who didn't fit in were sent to, to live. He spent 18 years as a builder stroke carpenter. 
And I bet he was good, but I've never seen an antiques roadshow where they say, well, this is, this is a chair by Jesus, not one of his original pieces, but nevertheless, it's a good chair. Never seen that. Never seen any of his handiwork. He spent three years as a rabbi, and people followed him, and he healed the sick, and he raised people from the dead, and he brought the greatest message of all to let people know that they're loved and that God loves them. People in their thousands turned up to hear him speak. But at the end, he's crucified, a shameful thing for a Jew to be crucified. And at the end, he had no money. He had no land. He had no clothes because they took the very clothes off his back before he's crucified. And of all the thousands that have followed him, his mother was there, Mary, a couple of other women, and John, maybe a couple of others looking at a distance. If he'd been a chief executive, he would have been sacked because he's a flop. However, however, when Jesus has spent 30 years, well, 18 years being a carpenter, one day he shuts the carpenter's shed and puts his little tools away and decides now's the time, now's the time. And he goes and he finds John the Baptist and John the Baptist says, why should I baptize you? But Jesus says, please do it. So he bapt- and as he goes down, a dove comes from heaven and a voice is heard, a voice, an audible voice is heard and it's God the Father. And he's going, this is my son. I'm well pleased with him. Why was he pleased with him? Because he'd set out what God called him to do. Shortly before his death, he goes up the mountain with a couple of the disciples. And he gets up there and uh, a cloud comes down and again these disciples hear a voice. And it's the father saying, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. What's Jesus just done? Well, if you come back down the mountain a day before Jesus has told his disciples, listen, I've got to tell you, I am going to die. I'll be crucified. But three days later, I will rise from the dead. And they say to him, no, no, that won't happen. You won't allow that to happen. So Jesus carrying the weight of this all by himself. And he goes up to the mountain and the father speaks, this is my beloved son. The Greek word has changed from the first time he said it, beloved the second time. This is my beloved Greek suffering servant. It's the right choice, Jesus. I'm pleased with you. You're making the right call to go to the cross. And on the cross, into your hands I commit my spirit, Abba. It is done. It is finished. It is completed. Humanly speaking, a flop. In eternity's sake, a raging success. Because in doing that, he paid the price for you and I. And he rose again. And people began to follow him and to walk with him. So this is what I do every night. I go to bed, which is a good thing to do. (laughs) I read a little book, usually a thriller, because I like thrillers. And then at some point, I I turn to Jane and uh, give her a little kiss on the cheek and she gives me a little kiss on the cheek, and it's about as far as it goes these days, but there we go. And uh, I, uh, I lay back on the pillow, and this is what I do. It's called Ignatius spirituality. I go back over the day. And so today, I'm going to thank God at the end of the day for Chris and his family and for you, because you're a lovely church. If I lived in Abergavenny, I'd come here. 
because you're a lovely church. Um, and I thank God for each one of you and pray God's continued blessing on you. And then this afternoon, I'm going to be seeing some people. So at the end of the day, I pray blessing on them. And I look back over the day and say, Father, have I, have I done something I shouldn't have done? And please forgive me. Uh, and then I, I pray. I pray every night for some overseas workers. And I pray for two people who are captive by Al-Qaeda, two Christians. I pray for them every night. I pray for a couple of people every night. And then I put my head down, I close my eyes, and I go to sleep. That's it. Father, I've tried to live today how you wanted me to live. I've tried to do what you want me to do. Whether anybody's noticed it is not the point. You've noticed it, God. And I can rest and sleep well. Now, if you're one of the people, does anybody, when they put their head on the pillow, go straight to sleep? Anybody go straight to sleep when you put your head on the pillow? At the back there, at the back there. Can I just tell you, I should get everybody to turn around and look at you, because we hate you. We, we hate you. <laughs> Truly, we hate you. <laughs> but stay sat upright. Don't lie down. And just do it sat upright. So, let me pray in a minute and hand back to Chris. I always drop in that I've been through burnout. I always drop in that I went on medication and I had to take time out. Why? Because there'll be quite a few in this room who've been there, fear you're going there. I'd love to pray for you. Love to pray for you. And to tell you, it is hard. It is very difficult. But the light will come. The light will come. It came back for me. So let me pray. This is the ministry team, is it? Excellent. I thought that was a takeover bid. Right. Oh, some musicians, of course you are. Sorry, some musicians. <laughs> Let me just... You are excellent, by the way, gang. Very good. Excellent. Thank you. Father, thank you for this morning. I thank you for this dear church. Father, for these dear people who you love with a passion. Lord, I, I only know Chris. I don't know anybody else, Father. So I don't know any lives here this morning, but I, you know them. And I pray for those hearts and those minds that are struggling, Lord. I pray for those who are teetering on the brink of the black hole, the black dog of depression. I pray for those who have stepped into that void, Lord. I pray that you will bring hope and light into that situation. Hope and light, I pray. And Father, for each one of us, forgive us when we match ourselves against others and feel we're not being successful. Forgive us, Father, that we do want to be noticed. And at times that's right. But, Father, it is hard. Help us to be people who listen to your voice, who hear you. And each day at the end of the day, we can put our head on our pillow and say, Father, I've given it my best shot today. Forgive me where I went wrong. But tomorrow, may I walk in the way you lead, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.